So we are back in Genesis. Uh, We are in chapter 44, beginning a new chapter, the first 17 verses. So let me read those in your hearing this morning. Then he, who is Joseph, commanded the steward of his house, fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, Up, follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is not Is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. When he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. They said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your service to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks we brought to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we also will be my Lord's servants." He said, let it be as you say, he who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack, and he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. So keep in mind, Reuben was the oldest, Benjamin was the youngest. So looking, look for each man's sack, beginning with Reuben going on down the line, it wasn't found in any of the brother's sacks. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and each man and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose cup, the, in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Oh Lord God, we rejoice in your word and how it proclaims Christ from Genesis to Revelation, how it teaches us the gospel, how it teaches us our need for Christ, that we are all guilty sinners, that all each one of us has been found out. For all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. We are all transgressors. We have broken your law in thought, word, and deed in every way. We are all guilty. And yet there is forgiveness for the one who comes to you through Christ, through Christ alone, through faith alone, because of grace alone, because of the cross. And we boast in that cross. We rejoice in our Savior. And we look to Him. We live for Him. We rejoice in Him. We glorify Him. So teach us, O God. Conform us to the image of Christ. Feed us the bread of life. Sanctify us, O Holy Spirit. We would not be like the world. 
We have been delivered from the world. We are now holy ones, the people of God, the new Israel. Let us, O God, be like our Savior Jesus. For we come in His name. Amen. So we saw last time that Joseph's sons had traveled to Egypt for the second time. This trip, including Benjamin, for the Lord of Egypt said, You won't see my face again unless you bring your youngest brother, Benjamin. And so they traveled to Egypt. They had money. They had gifts in their hands. And they planned to purchase more food and hopefully prove their honesty and have Simeon returned to them. And then they could return home with more food and bring peace to their father. However, there was that matter of the previous trip and the money that they had paid and yet that somehow mysteriously had been returned to them, each one in his own sack. And so when they on this second trip, when they were ordered to appear before the ruler of Egypt, the prime minister, the governor, they were very fearful. They were trembling. They were scared to death. And rightly so. We can understand why, why they would be that. And yet it turns out their fear was unwarranted. If you look in your Bible and you see that little blank space between chapter 43 and chapter 44, <laughs> That's all the time the brothers spent in Egypt. We don't know how long it was, but it was the time they spent in Egypt. And during their stay, nothing of what they anticipated, nothing that they feared came to pass. In fact, their experience was quite contrary to their fears. They had been treated as the special guests of the second ruler of Egypt. They had been invited to, to eat and to dine and to drink at his table in his own house. And to great relief, they were allowed to leave in peace afterwards. All 11 brothers safe, including Simeon and Benjamin. Finally, the entire family, at least all the brothers together, heading home back to Canaan. They surely had smiles on their faces. They had relief in their hearts. Rather than being a, a painful, stressful, difficult experience, it had been nothing but pleasant and happy and joyful. And so their stress was gone. Their hearts were happy. Their stomachs were full. Their steps were light. Their heads were up. They had peace and joy. And that brings us to chapter 44. Notice that verse 1 is nearly a verbatim repetition of chapter 42, verse 25, which reads, Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for this journey. It's nearly verbatim, but this time something else, something additionally was added, which is fill them with as much grain as you can possibly fill. Not what they paid for, not what they requested, but as much as they could possibly carry back to their home without overburdening their animals. And so we see here that these sons of Israel were receiving grace. 
right? The abundance of Joseph's generosity. They didn't deserve, even as their bellies had been filled with, with rich, delicious food at the Egyptians' table. Food they hadn't paid for. Food they hadn't expected. Food they had anticipated. This meal that was, well, undeserved favor. So in, in, in everything, Joseph had been nothing but generous and kind to them. Exactly the opposite way that they had been toward him many years ago. And so when they had traveled just a short distance, just barely out of the city, Joseph's steward overtook them, and he rebuked them, saying, Why have you repaid evil for good? Why have you done this? Now his rebuke was referring to the alleged theft of Joseph's cup. But the Holy Spirit intended to rebuke them and to remind them of that terrible act they had committed against Joseph many, many years ago. When Joseph had, in fact, done nothing but good toward them, even walking 70 miles to find out, were they well? Were they happy? Were they safe? And yet they had repaid his good with evil. For his kindness, for his efforts, for his goodness, they had responded with great cruelty. And yet they weren't ready to acknowledge their wickedness. They responded with horror, with these protestations of innocence. What? Seriously? We? You can't be, you can't, this can't be right. You don't don't expect us to do this, such a thing? We are good men. We are honest men. As they had essentially claimed to their father all those years ago. Remember? We didn't have any involvement in Joseph's... We have no idea what happened to him. We found his coat that you gave him, but no clue. We have no idea what happened to him. We certainly didn't do anything. Well, they had not, in fact, stolen... Joseph's cup. But what had they done? They had stolen Joseph's freedom. They had stolen Joseph's family. They had stolen Joseph's life. Selling him into slavery. They had taken his entire world from him. They were guilty of a far greater crime than the theft of simply a silver cup. But not only wouldn't they admit their sin, yet they got all self-righteous and puffed up when accused. Look at verse 9. Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we also will be my Lord's servants. So blindly convinced were they of their own honesty, of their innocence. One author made this comment. It's actually a friend of mine in seminary. He said, It is interesting to observe what legalists we all are whenever we feel ourselves to be innocent. We are all ready to condemn people who commit sins that we cannot conceive of committing ourselves. Yet when it comes to our own sins, we are much less eager for swift justice. There are always extenuating circumstances in our case 
reasons why we are not fully responsible for our actions or reasons why mercy should nonetheless be offered to us. The excuses and denials quickly flow for ourselves, but when it comes to others, we insist that strict justice must be done. That's exactly right, isn't it? Grace for me when I sin, but when others sin, give them the law. Justice, punishment. I get the gospel, but they get the law. And so we become legalistic hypocrites. Well, beloved, that is the perfect MO to continue in any group divisions and hostility and strife. And it's why in our day there is so much hostility between people, so much trouble, why relational problems are everywhere. No one is immune from having issues with other people. It's why social media has become almost just, some of us want to shut it down. The vitriol, the uncivility in our nation is, is unprecedented in my lifetime, at, at least. And it's why even churches sometimes split. Well, Joseph knew the secret to restoring peace. And that word peace, I've, I pointed out to you, is very important. The word shalom, Hebrew word shalom, is very important in this text. It occurred back in chapter 43. And it occurs in chapter 44 in verse 17, but as for you, go up in peace or shalom to your father. Joseph knew the secret to restoring peace, which Paul lays out in plain language in Romans 12. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Peter agrees. He said, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called. Isn't that interesting? We, as the people of God, as disciples of Christ, were called to be peacemakers, to give blessing for reviling. We were called to be shalom restorers. Peter cites in that same old, in that context, the Old Testament, let him turn away from evil, let us turn away from evil, let him seek peace and pursue it. Now, in context, and you can look at that later on if you want to, in context, the evil we are to turn away from is the evil we respond to other evil, the evil we were using in responding to other evil. See, when we think someone has offended us, done badly toward us, abused us, we justify our returning abuse and hatred and something else, bad behavior, as justice as they, they deserve that, right? But we are called to be shalom restorers. We are called to give blessing for cursing. We are called to overcome evil with good. Because Peter says, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Not 
those people out there. But when we respond with evil to evil, the Lord is against us. Listen, don't suppose this was easy for Joseph to overcome evil with good. Remember what he had lost. Remember what he had endured in Egypt. Why? Because of the evil these very men had done against him without cause. Joseph had to crush his pride. Joseph had to crush his self-righteousness. He had to deny his natural desire for revenge. And instead, he had to be fully committed to peace and love regardless of the cost to himself. And it was costly. He had to pursue this irrespective of the pain he had to endure and indeed now had to relive by going through this with his brothers, he was having to relive what he endured over two decades before that in order to pursue peace and unity. There's something else also that must be crushed or put to death. See, by appearance, they had stolen a cup from Joseph, this silver cup, but not just any cup, not just any cup out of the cabinet. It was, we're told, the cup by which he practiced divination. Now, probably every one of you knows that divination is strictly forbidden in the Old Testament in some place like Deuteronomy 18. There shall not be found among you anyone who practiced divination because divination was like, it was like witchcraft or sorcery, okay? It's pursuing knowledge through other gods, through really demons and devils, okay? Not pursuing knowledge through Jehovah, but through ungodly means. And that's why they respond with horror, thinking <laughs> this couldn't possibly be true. We're the sons of Israel, okay? But were they not, in truth, idolaters? Is idolatry limited to just bowing down to some statue or some form? Or is it just seeking knowledge through false gods? Isn't it a matter of the heart? Isn't it that corruption of the heart by which we worship the creature rather than the creator? See, idolatry substitutes something in this world for God. Could be money, could be power, it could be position. It, could, it can't, even, can't even be something good. It can be a spouse or a child. It's just something that you make supremely important so that it becomes your God. It becomes that which gives meaning to your life. It's that which you serve. So again, were they not idolaters? Yes. Because they had, with with greed and, and covetousness in here, they had wanted what Joseph had. They wanted his place. They wanted his authority. They wanted his favor, the favor he had with his father. Remember back in chapter 37, it seemed like a long time ago, the focus of their bitterness had been what? The robe that Joseph had, that special robe from his father that symbolized his position and authority in the family. So the charges, in fact, were true. They were thieves, and they were 
idolaters. And that's why they say there in verse 16, God has found out the guilt of your servants. They were guilty as charged. Not of stealing Joseph's cup, but of their long hidden secret of stealing Joseph's life because of their idolatrous commitment to their own selfish interests. And many years had passed, and they thought their cover-up was completely successful. Their sin would never be discovered. It had not been made known. Their father didn't know. No one knew. It had been kept secret. But now, a sovereign God who knows secrets, who sees what is done in hidden places, this sovereign God who knows all and sees all had made it known to bring these men to the point of acknowledgement and confession. You know, perhaps we want to see ourselves in Joseph, but perhaps we need to see ourselves in these brothers. Can you? I can. Haven't we also been thieves? Stealing from others? Maybe not a possession. I'm not even speaking about that. I'm speaking about something much more significant. Stealing someone's reputation through slander. Stealing someone's honor or their dignity. Stealing their peace or joy by the way you act toward them. Maybe stealing their position, even their livelihood. Stealing their spouse. And have we not committed idolatry by loving ourselves, loving our possessions, loving our money, loving our comfort, loving our peace more than God, and living for those things, not really living for God, and yet we condemn others and excuse ourselves? Paul addresses that to the Jews, and we are like the Jews. We are the established people of God in Romans 2, and, and read that. Um, you who accuse others, Paul basically says, don't you, don't you do the same things? Romans 2, 19-22. See, the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. Your secret will not remain a secret, at least not with God, because He knows what is done in secret places, in dark places, behind closed doors. He knows what you have done as He knew what they had done, and God's justice must be satisfied. Sin must be punished. The soul that sins shall die. And the investigation as it went from Reuben, on down the line, brother by brother, oldest to the youngest, had discovered that the missing cup was in Benjamin's sack. And so Benjamin would have to be punished. But notice the irony in verse 17. Only the man in whose cup was found should be punished. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. I say irony because... Which brother was innocent 20 years ago? Benjamin was not there. He was the one brother that had nothing to do with the harm that had come to Joseph. The one innocent brother. And yet he would be the only one punished. All the others who actually were involved in 
the crime to Joseph or at least complicit in it, they would go in peace. They would walk away innocently. And so by this time, their consciences were accusing them with loud voices. And they finally paid attention. They could not let Benjamin be punished for their sins. And so notice in verse, verse 14, they returned to Joseph's house. But who returns? Judah and all the brothers, the entire family, returns together. Yes, they're sticking together, not abandoning Benjamin. They're going to weather this storm together as a family, finally committed to one another. And that's another component of restoring peace in any body, in any assembly, in any group, being committed to one another, having an enduring commitment to other, others that will deal with uh, challenges and, cha- and difficulties and disappointments. It's what's sadly lacking these days in our American Western culture. We don't stick together when it's hard. We don't endure difficulties. When, when the going gets tough, the tough walk away, the, the not-so-tough walk away from marriages, from work, from friends, from church. We don't bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, and endure all things, which means we're not practicing biblical love for one another. But these brothers have finally learned their character is developing. God is at work. The Holy Spirit is changing these men. And they would not abandon Benjamin, the son of Rachel, for the sake of their own safety. They were free to leave Egypt. They were free to go home. But they wouldn't. And when they came to Joseph's house, they found Joseph waiting for them. And I can imagine Joseph wondering what was happening out there with his steward and his brothers. And when he saw them all arrive back, he he must have had to work hard to hide his encouragement. And he said to them in verse 15, What is this you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can practice divination? Now don't take this as an admission that he actually did practice divination. Because what was not in his possession? That silver cup, right? So any knowledge he had had nothing to do with that cup. There was another source of, jo- of Joseph's knowledge that we know because we know we read the Word of God. It's, it's God Himself. God revealed dreams. God gave knowledge to Joseph, not some silly cup or not some pagan god. And the brothers, the sons of Israel, knew that there is only one true God who gives knowledge And therefore, God must have given this knowledge of their sin to this ruler. Which is why they say, God has found out the guilt of your servants. And so God knows your guilt as well and mine. You also, I also have been found out by Him. Those secret sins we try to hide. Our jealousies, our our bitter hearts, our anger. And sin must be punished. Next week, we'll look at 
the rest of the chapter under the title, The Gospel According to Judah. But here's the gospel. The innocent one was punished for the guilty. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only, the only innocent person in the history of this world. Not you, not me. Jesus is the only one who has not sinned, who has not offended, who has not done any evil. And yet He was the one punished for the guilty. For you and for me. For our sins. And because of that punishment, because He satisfied divine justice, we can be set free. And we can have peace. We can go in peace. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not one of us can escape the troubles in this world. You, I bet, have had troubles with people in this past week. And yet, not one of us is without guilt in regard to to those issues, those difficulties, those problems with people. And so what do we need? What does everyone in this room need? We need someone who is willing and able to deliver us from our guilt, paying the just penalty, thus restoring peace. Jesus is that one. Jesus is the only one. You will not have peace. You cannot have peace. You cannot have shalom until you confess your sins, acknowledge your guilt, acknowledge your wrongdoing. Get it out in the open. Stop being, stop hiding it. It's not secret with God anyway. And seek forgiveness in the only one who can offer that to you, who is Jesus. Because only Jesus offered the gift or the sacrifice that atones for your sin. See, the only way your peace can be secured is through someone else's good, through someone else blessing you, through someone else overcoming your evil with their good and giving you that undeserved gift. Well, in a similar way, a self-denying, self-sacrificing, fully committed love One that seeks to honor God and display the gospel is the only way you can secure peace in your relationships. See, you are called to be a peacemaker. You are called to be a shalom restorer. And so you are called to love others as you have been loved by God. Jesus has treated you with grace and kindness. He has fed you. He has invited you into his his home. He hasn't treated you the way you treated him, the way sometimes you still treat him. And so you must show respect and love toward all. The Bible says, not only to the good and gentle. Oh, that's easy. That's easy to be good to the good and gentle. But it says also to the unjust. Because Christ suffered for you. Christ overcame your evil by his good. And so as you have received God's kindness, so show that kindness to others. The gospel received and the gospel shown. 
That's the only way you can go up to your Father, your Heavenly Father, in peace. Paul said, by the Spirit, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love. Notice, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And Peter said, let those who suffer according to God's will, and Joseph is going to say, by the way, a little bit later, that this was the will of God. God meant it for good. God ordained these circumstances, all the evil that happened to Joseph, God ordained those circumstances. God ordained the death of Christ. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good, meaning doing good to others. So we who have received undeserved favor, amazing gifts, though we have sinned against the one who gave those gifts, we must show that same favor that same goodness toward others who have sinned against us, as Joseph showed to his brothers. Because it was Joseph's love, Joseph's love that brought the family peace and unity. As the love of Jesus reconciled the church and gave us peace with God. Oh, Lord, two things are true. Though we have, or though we do acknowledge our sins, our sins are far greater than we ever imagined. Our sins are far more than we're willing to admit. We have broken every one of your laws countless times. Our sins if they would be stacked up, would reach the end of the universe. But there's something else that's also true. The gift of God is greater than we can imagine. The love of Christ is greater than we can imagine. It's, it's greater than anything that we know. Someday we may know it. As we, are, we will know as we are known, we will know you much better. We will know that gift but Lord, I pray that we would, because of our sin, humble ourselves before you and before one another, receiving the gift of God with, with a freshness, with a newness, with a joy that acknowledges the amazing, how amazing that grace is, how great that gift is, how wondrous our Jesus is, how undeserving we are, that we might as forgiven sinners might forgive other sinners, that we might treat others the way we have been treated by you, that we become gracious and gentle and kind, not puffed up and self-righteous as the brothers once were, but finally broken, finally loving, finally pursuing peace and unity 
in all of our relationships, oh God, in this way, honoring you, in this way, not just declaring the gospel, but showing it forth and, and presenting it to others. Thank you for your love, O oh God. Love received and love given is our prayer this day in Jesus' name.